It's 2023, almost three years after the COVID-19 pandemic first rocked our world. Travel has almost returned to pre-pandemic levels. The vast majority of people go out in public without masks, and our borders are open to thousands. But Title 42 remains. Hearing that phrase, Title 42, probably gives you one of two reactions. You could be wondering, what's Title 42? Or you could be thinking, when will Lindsay and Jenny stop talking about Title 42? As a reminder, Title 42 is a policy put in place by the previous administration that almost completely cut off the ability to seek asylum at the southern border, a right that is protected by our laws. The policy was put in place in March of 2020 under the guise of protecting the American people from COVID-19. You might have wondered in the past why we would say under the guise of protecting people from COVID, but at this point in the year 2023, you are likely not questioning whether this policy has anything to do with COVID. I'm Lindsay Goldford Gray. And I'm Jenny Guilfoyle. And this is season two of Inadmissible. Recently, the Biden administration announced sweeping border policy changes, including an expansion of Title 42, a new parole program for people from certain countries, and an upcoming rule that would bar thousands fleeing persecution from seeking asylum in our country. With us today to talk through exactly what these policies are and how they're going to impact asylum seekers is Erin Reichland Melnick, who is Policy Director at the American Immigration Council. Erin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So the Biden administration just announced a sweeping new set of policies that are going to impact asylum seekers and other people trying to come to the United States. Can you walk us through the broad outlines of the different components of these policies? Uh, last week's big announcement was uh, included four separate parts. Two of them are, are linked, and I think they're the one, the most important ones because they've already gone into effect. Um, first, the Biden administration announced that it had reached a deal with Mexico where that country would allow the Biden administration to expel to Mexico um, upwards of 30,000 uh, um, people a month from the countries of Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Now, the Biden administration had already reached a deal with Mexico back in October that allows them to expel people under Title 42 from Venezuela to Mexico. But until the announcement last week, there was no deal that allowed them to send people from Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua to any country other than their own home countries. And of course, the important thing to know is that, uh, at least for Cubans and Nicaraguans, the government of those countries does not allow the United States to send anyone there, uh, either through a deportation or through a Title 42 expulsion. So this allows the administration for the first time to take migrants from those countries and send them to Mexico, rather than having to allow them into the United States to seek asylum. Now, Along with that deal, Mexico said the only reason it would do this deal is if the United States also offered a new alternate legal pathway for people to come here from those countries. And so what the Biden administration did is announce the creation of what they're calling the CHNV Parole Program, Cuban, Haitian, Nicaraguan, Venezuelan Parole Program, which will allow 30,000 people a month from those countries to enter the United States legally through humanitarian parole. So that's the sort of one-to-one -one deal. 
Each month, the United States can expel up to 30,000 people from those countries to Mexico. And each month, the United States can take up to 30,000 people from those countries through humanitarian parole. Uh, so those were the first two big parts of the deal. And the other two are a new way to process asylum seekers at ports of entry who are at the U.S.-Mexico border already, as well as a planned proposal to create new asylum restrictions that is going to be coming sometime in the future. So let's start by talking about this parole program. And I just want to first clarify, when you say 30,000 a month for countries, does that mean 30,000 a month per country or total across the four countries? It's total across the four countries and not divided like 7,500, 7,500 for, for each country. It's just there's going to be a cap of 30,000. And whenever it's reached for the month, no matter what country you come from, you're going to have to wait until the next month. And what does this parole program look like? And who is eligible, who's not eligible, and how is it similar or not to anything else the U.S. is doing? So I'll start with the latter question. So this program is modeled on the Venezuelan parole program that started up last October when Mexico agreed to take Venezuelans under Title 42. Um, and that in turn was modeled on the um, spring 2022 creation of Uniting for Ukraine, a humanitarian parole program where Ukrainians who were fleeing their country could come to the United States if they had a sponsor in the United States who was willing to agree to support them financially for the two years of the parole process. This is very similar to that. In order to qualify, a person has to be outside of the United States uh, and they need to have not been deported from the United States at any time in the last five years. Uh, and they also need to stay where they are in some extent. Any person who crosses a border north, specifically the Panama border, so this targets people coming through the Darien Gap by land on their way to the United States. Anyone who crosses the Mexican border uh, um, and without permission or the United States border without permission is barred from this program. Uh, so if a person is outside the United States, they're from one of these four countries. And most importantly, if they have a sponsor in the United States who has any form of legal status, that can be temporary protected status, it can be citizenship, having a green card, um, it could even theoretically be a student visa, though I'm not sure how you would satisfy the other components of the program. Um, so any person who's got a sponsor in the United States who can prove that they have sufficient resources to support that person for two years can apply for humanitarian parole. Now, just because if, even if you do have a sponsor and you are outside the United States, you do qualify, that doesn't mean you necessarily will be granted because they say this is a discretionary case-by-case -case basis program. So some people may end up rejected anyway, but generally speaking, so that's who it is. It's people outside the country who have a sponsor inside the United States, who's got the resources to support them can apply for this program. And, but most importantly, you also have to have a valid passport and you have to be able to buy your own plane ticket to the United States. You cannot enter um, on foot by a land port of entry. You have to fly into the country. You can't even drive it. You just, you have to fly for whatever reason. And do you have a sense of why these countries in particular? I mean, we we talked in a previous episode of Inadmissible about um, the many, many tens of thousands of Afghans, for instance, who've applied for humanitarian parole and don't have a program like this available just to cite one other possible country that people might want to be coming from. Why these four? A lot of this seems to do with geopolitics. Um, I think the, the treatment of Afghans is different from here is, is a real 
uh, example of the ways in which geopolitics and to be frank, sometimes racism uh, has a lot to do with why the United States chooses some countries over others. Um, but for these countries in particular, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela have been a thorn in the United States side, and especially when it comes to issues of migration. Those three countries are run by governments that are in direct opposition to the United States. We are sanctioning them. Of course, with Cuba, we've been sanctioning them for 50 years, so this isn't exactly new. With Venezuela, since the Chavez government, now the Maduro government, and we've increased our sanctions. And Nicaragua, over the last two years, um, the Ortega government has cracked down on political opposition, jailed everyone who was trying to run to replace uh, Daniel Ortega. And so um, those three countries do not accept deportations from the United States right now. And this is essentially the leverage that they have against us. They have said, okay, you can sanction us, but if you ever want to send any of our migrants back home, we're just going to tell you, no, you're not allowed to do that. So what's that, what that means practically is that when nationals of those three countries cross the US-Mexico border, the United States effectively cannot do anything about it. Um, even if those people had no legal right to remain, even if a deportation order was issued against them, those deportation orders could not be carried out. Of course, this, again, is not new for Cubans. Cubans have been able to come to the United States for 50 years, as long as they got, that was the whole concept of wet foot, dry foot. You know, once you made it onto U.S. soil, you were good. There was nothing else that could be done. And that had kind of become the reality for Nicaraguans and Venezuelans as well. So enter Mexico. Mexico now is able to essentially act as a surrogate deportation location for nationals of those countries, allowing the United States for the very first time in some cases, especially for Nicaraguans and Venezuelans, to send people back there um, rather than having to let them into the United States. Um, and so those three countries from a geopolitical perspective and the U.S. desire to stop migrant perspective make, you know, quote unquote sense. Haiti, on the other hand, it's not really clear. Um, of course, people remember last year, thousands of Haitians were crossing the border um, without uh, authorization to seek asylum in the United States in 2021 in Del Rio when 15,000 Haitians crossed. The Biden administration can expel those people to Haiti and has. Um, over 10,000 Haitians have been expelled back to Haiti, a country which is collapsing. Uh, and so the United States has always had the ability to expel Haitians. It's not clear why it's targeted this way. It's especially bizarre that it's targeting Haitians for expulsions back to Mexico because really since this spring, almost no Haitians have been crossing the border without permission. Um, that is because the Biden administration ramped up asylum processing at ports of entry and starting really in um, uh, June, uh, Haitians have been taking advantage of the ability to to ask for humanitarian exemptions from Title 42 at ports of entry to the point that in November of last year, just 35 Haitians were taken into Border Patrol custody total. So that's barely one a day. And that is a sign that's like, it's why are you targeting this country? It, it, it doesn't seem any good reason for it. So you mentioned Title 42. So can we kind of come back to that now and talk about the U.S. Um, expelling people to Mexico under Title 42, and where does that stand? 
Yeah, so uh, Title 42 is in effect now, thanks to the Supreme Court. Um, back in December, a federal, sorry, late November, a federal judge struck down Title 42 as unlawful. Um, that was extended to December 21st um, because the government said that it wanted time to wind down Title 42 and, and get ready for its, its end. Uh, and then the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and said, we're going to hold off, punt this issue for another five or six months while they decide a really hyper-technical issue that has literally nothing to do with Title 42, that is mainly about whether or not GOP attorneys general can intervene in the ACLU lawsuit that led to Title 42 being struck down. Um, so that is where Title 42 is right now. The Supreme Court has said it will stay in effect for now. And realistically, through court battles, it may stay in effect even past June when we expect the Supreme Court to rule. And so the Biden administration still has this power and it is still expelling tens of thousands of people every single month back to Mexico. Now, thanks to this new expansion, it will be able to expel up to 30,000 people more each month from those four countries to Mexico. And um, what are the administration's other plans for asylum seekers at the border in the future? What else did they announce? Well, so they, they announced the, the two other things. The first is the, the um, change in a, what's known as Title 42 humanitarian exemptions. Um, since this spring, as I mentioned with Haitians, uh, the Biden administration has really been making it easier for people who are in Mexico who want to come through a port of entry to request a formal humanitarian exemption to Title 42, allowing them to start the asylum process by going through a port of entry rather than crossing between ports of entry and turning themselves into the border patrol. And this has been a very successful program. Um, most months now, about 20,000 people enter through the ports of entry. And when it comes to some groups like Haitians, we have seen that this has effectively stopped those groups from crossing between ports of entry because there has been an available process for them to come more easily. But this process has been run through humanitarian NGOs in Mexico and in the United States, as well as through private attorneys. And I think the Biden administration really wants to cut the middleman out and start doing it themselves. And so what they announced is that they will now require people seeking a humanitarian exemption to essentially apply for an appointment to seek a humanitarian exemption through the use of an app on a smartphone called CBP-1. Now, this uh, and this is going to go into effect um, almost immediately uh, and will be starting in the upcoming days, people who are in Mexico will be able to use this app to seek uh, an appointment and go to go to a port of entry and start that humanitarian exemption process. And, and then, then, yeah, sorry, can you just remind us of Title 42, kind of what it was and the supposed rationale for using it in the first place. We talked about it on a previous episode and, um, you know, it sounds like maybe it's part of our immigration law. Is it? No, Title 42 refers to um, Title 42 of the U.S. Code, which is the public health code. Uh, and in fact, Title 42 is a shorthand for a specific law, um, 42 U.S. Code 265, which is a uh, 1893 public health law created in the era of steamships designed to allow the US government to have authority to essentially turn away people at the border if they posed a serious danger of the introduction of a communicable disease. 
We are now almost, well, more than three years into COVID-19. Um, and it COVID-19 has long since been introduced into the United States. And at this point, absolutely no one is even pretending that Title 42 has anything to do with public health. If you look at the arguments that the states made to the Supreme Court and the appeals courts about why Title 42 should be kept in place, you will find the words public health basically non-existent. Um, so at this point, it is, a, it is an emergency authority on public health grounds that is being used for migration and immigration purposes, and no one is pretending it has anything to do with public health. And that law was put into place long before our current immigration and certainly our asylum laws um, were put into effect. Yeah, it predates asylum laws by um, the Asylum Refugee Act was 19, sorry, 1980, um, and this public health law was 1893. So it is nearly 80 years uh, or more than 80 years uh, older than um, our refugee processes. So quite obviously, you know, originally, um, there was a, an aversion of the ACLU lawsuit. There was a legal challenge to the idea of Title 42 itself being used to expel people. And, and um, a federal court did rule that you actually cannot expel people without giving them a chance to seek some form of humanitarian protections. But in practice, the way that lawsuit works, very few people are able to take advantage of that. And... Um... So beyond this expansion and continuation of Title 42, what else is the administration planning to do with regard to asylum seekers? So the administration also previewed a change to asylum law uh, that they hope to push through in the form of a regulation at some point this year. They announced that this is going to be a new um, restriction on asylum for individuals who haven't applied for and been denied asylum in a country on their way to the United States, as well as seemingly for individuals who do not go through one of these new processes that they're creating, either the CBP-1 app or through this humanitarian parole process. Now, these look quite a lot on paper, like the Trump administration's asylum transit ban and their ban on asylum for people who crossed between ports of entry. And every time people point this out to the administration, they get very defensive about it and keep insisting that, no, it's not the same as the Trump rule. And when asked why it's not the same, their answers really come down to because we're only going to apply this to a smaller set of people. And, you know, a kinder, gentler asylum ban is, is still an asylum ban. And so the Trump rule was an asylum ban that applied to 99.9% .9 of people. It was a near complete and total ban. And this Biden administration ban will apply. Again, we don't know, we haven't seen the text of this, but it, it seems like from what they're saying that this ban will probably apply to somewhere between 50 to 90% of people who are crossing the border. So that's still a ban. Um, and as much as they try to pretend it's, it's different, it really just seems like they've taken the Trump ban and just um, made it a little bit nicer. Of course, we have not seen the text of this proposed regulation, and we still don't know whether or not those ban you know, those exemptions are going to be so large that they swallow up any kind of ban. But certainly on paper and from what they've been saying publicly about it, it sure seems a lot like an asylum ban. And, you know, we hear a lot from elected officials and legislators about irregular migration and people illegally trying to come and seek asylum in the U.S. But in fact, 
what do our laws say about uh, somebody who comes to the U.S. border to request asylum? Is that lawful? Does that... Yeah, seeking asylum is legal. And you have to keep saying this because people keep forgetting it. Um, seeking asylum is a human right. It is enshrined in the United Nations refugee protocols and conventions. It is enshrined in U.S. law. And it is really something that grew out of the Holocaust when countries around the world turned away Jewish refugees and sent them back to Nazi persecution. And we have seen since then over and over and over again in other genocides that have gone on around the world and other political repressions, why asylum is necessary. If you don't give people a chance to flee and you force them to stay in places where they're going to die, they will die and they will. the horrible things will happen. Um, but there is some complexities to this. Um, it is still technically against the law to cross the border between ports of entry. But asylum in that way is a little bit like an affirmative defense, if you think about it. You know, and that means, here's a great example, self-defense. It is illegal to hit someone. But if you hit someone because they are hitting you, it's self-defense. And you are allowed to essentially have, quote unquote, broken that law because the law says you had a reason to do it. And asylum is a bit like that. You can cross the border. It is, yes, it is technically a violation of immigration law to cross the border between ports of entry. And it's technically a misdemeanor crime, like a little bit like trespassing. But once you're in the United States, you have this right and it is legal to seek asylum. And Congress 43 years ago in 1980 was crystal clear, regardless of how you enter the United States, legally or otherwise, you can apply for asylum. That is a fundamental right that you have, and it is legal to do so. And are these uh, proposed restrictions on asylum that the administration is currently talking about, uh, are we certain that these are going to happen? Is there any chance that they won't? That's the big question. Um, so the way this process works um, with a notice of what's going to happen is the administration will issue this thing called a notice of proposed rulemaking. They're basically saying to the public, here's our idea for a regulation that we want to put into the rule books. And so then the public will have 60 days to comment whether they think this is a good idea or not. And then after that, the administration legally has to go through all of those comments, respond to them in some way, and then make the decision about whether or not to publish this as a final rule that goes into legal effect and actually exists rather than just as a proposal. And so there is a lot of advocacy that can be done to essentially stop a rule from actually going into effect. And I think that is uh, what we're going to wait to see. And the timeline on this is a matter of months. Uh, so we will not expect to actually see this new asylum ban for easily uh, five to six months, potentially longer. And if they get enough comments and enough people expressing outrage over this, it's possible that they may decide to just abandon the idea at the proposed rule stage. Thank you so much. And just to kind of go circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning, I just want to ask for your take on, you know, the pieces that are going into effect right now, this parole program, the Title 42 expansion, what impact is that going to have, you know, starting now on people seeking asylum in the United States? Yeah, so it's important to know that the targets of these two programs are different. Um, the target of the Title 42 expansion is migrants who are arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border. And for those Cubans, those Nicaraguans, Haitians, and Venezuelans who are the targets of it, and Venezuelans, of course, have been, have been subject to Title 42 since October, the goal for the Biden administration is to stop them from coming. 
it's very clear they're very explicit about this. They do not want asylum seekers from those countries crossing the border. Now, they are saying the use of this new app-based process will let people go to ports of entry, and they're basically trying to say, like, okay, 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 if you cross between ports of entry, we're going to turn you away entirely. Again, ignoring that asylum law says you can do that. It is okay if you cross between ports of entry and ask for asylum. That is legal. Um, Even though you have to break a law to get access to that right, it is still legal. You're allowed to do that, and that's how you can access asylum. It's one of the ways in which you can legally access asylum. But for the administration, they don't care about this. They want numbers down. They want fewer people crossing the border. They want fewer headlines saying record apprehensions. And they want essentially less people being able to access that asylum process. And so their goal with the Title 42 expulsions is to do that, to stop. Because Cubans, Haitians, sorry, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans have been the three biggest nationalities crossing the border other than Mexicans um, in the last few months. In fact, more nationals from those three countries have been crossing the border than Mexicans, which is extraordinary given the history of the U.S.-Mexico border and, of course, the fact that they are our neighbor. So they really want to stop this particular flow of migrants. And so for those who have already left their home countries, this Title 42 expulsion is aimed at them. It's to say, stop coming north, stop crossing the border, we will not let you in. And then for the parole program, The goal there seems to be to stop people from leaving their home countries in the first place. And we have to acknowledge that there's really sort of like two groups that are affected here. There's the asylum seekers who are fleeing persecution, and then there are just the average everyday migrant who is fleeing a failed state, collapsing economies, um, economic depredation, um, climate change, and every reason that people might have to pick up and leave and seek a better life in the United States like many of our ancestors. And so for them, for that latter group, this parole program, for those who have some resources, enough resources to get a passport, to buy a plane ticket, to know someone in the United States who can sponsor them, this parole program could be a lifeline. This could give them a chance to enter the United States without having to walk four months through the, you know, through the Darien Gap, through the jungle, through the cartels, and put themselves at risk for that. And so for many people, this parole program will be a lifesaver. But of course, for the most desperate, for those who can't wait, for those who have their persecutors knocking on their doors, this parole program will not be accessible. Now, some of them may be able to flee to another country in the region and then apply for parole from there. But again, for the most desperate who had to pick up and leave because the persecutor said, if you don't leave, I'm gonna kill you tomorrow. This is essentially just a way to block people out from asylum, because, again, the goal for this administration is to lower border numbers. It's not to vindicate the right to asylum. Thank you so much for being with us, Aaron. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Inadmissible. We look forward to bringing you more episodes, and we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. To learn more about how to get involved with Vecina's work, visit vecina.org. That's V-E-C-I-N-A dot O-R-G. See you next time.